Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hey, this is Andrew Olson, host of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I am thrilled today to be sitting down with my good friend, Tom Hooper. So Tom is the founder of Nimble Connect, which is an organization, as he'll tell you, that is focused on providing a really unique approach to donor stewardship for nonprofit organizations. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. Excited to, to have a chat with you. If you would, just in a few, few minutes, could you talk a little bit about who you are and a little bit about what Nimble Connect is? Sure, sure. Well, right out of the gate, Nimble Connect, our mission statement, as it were, is uh, we're dedicated to deepening donor relationships for our clients. And that's going to, you know, take on a larger role and a lot uh, bigger spectrum that we do now. But that's the overarching mission, because I really, truly believe there's not enough people out there doing it. It's something that needs to happen in fundraising today. Because, and to go back to your question, where, where this all started, working with nonprofits for many years. I think your listeners are going to be very familiar with the story where acquisition costs after 2008, 2010 really started to, to skyrocket, you know, different levels for different sectors, but certainly a trend. And then retention started falling off due to a number of different factors. Of course, I believe institutional trust being one of the biggest as well as um, generational factors where, uh, or giving behaviors have changed over time, but it all does boil down to trust. And so, you know, over that time working with my nonprofit clients, I begged and pleaded, cajoled with board members, executive directors, everywhere I went <laughs> to, to make sure that your ground game is working, that there's only so much we could do for, for fundraising, for bringing the, you know, the dollars in the door as an agency that ostensibly is doing fundraising that, on the ground, you need to be reaching out to some of these donors, building that relationship. And it was like pulling teeth, to say the least. And, and Andrew, I know you're familiar with this because I think we had a lot of common clients. However, you know, there are things that can be done. And that's why Nimble Connect was, was born, because I got tired of seeing that, those downward trends. So I popped out of the fundraising space as the, the asker to really concentrate our efforts on what it takes to build a relationship. And so in the short three years that Nimble Connect's been around, we started with thank you calling. And that, that's, that's where we are now. And there's going to be some deeper personalization products coming out shortly. Perfect. So, Tom, you get this, I'm sure, all the time. I get it every time that I suggest this idea to an organization. And the response is something like, oh, we have plenty of people who could do that here. We don't need to hire an outside firm to do thank you calling for us. Now, from where I sit, Everybody can say that, and in right. my experience, you know, one out of ten might actually muster up the effort to to actually do the work. What do you see? I see that it's about one in eighteen. One in eighteen. <laughs> okay. Wow. That, well, I, I'm that specific because when we started Nimble Connect, I wanted to actually provide. I, I was a true believer. I believe that exactly what what you just said. And it's like let's use some of these volunteers. There's a lot of there's a lot of you know manpower there that can that can bring to bear some uh, some really great conversations with donors and 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 move the needle with relationship. So we started as a platform 
And we still offer this if somebody has volunteers or staff or somebody dedicated to make sure these thank you calls happen on a weekly basis. And that's important, the timeliness. We could talk about that a little bit. But to make those calls, well, it was like herding cats, right? So we went through beta for uh, 2016 and then and we proved out that it worked empirically, right? And by worked, I mean actually altered donor behavior by building the relationship. And we have case studies for that. But, you know, in subsequent years, we learned um, and started in 2018 that it's like herding cats to get these um, staff and volunteers to call. In fact, on average, our weekly files that we're receiving from our clients, only 30% of them are getting called. And while they say they can do it, well, I put that to the test. And more likely than not, they don't. I do have two exceptional clients who are all over it, actually have um, one volunteer, one paid staff, one group in Canada. So there's three um, that actually uh, do, it, do it really well. And they're calling 100%. So they're out there. But um, us doing the calls on their behalf has been a more surefire way of making sure that you know, with all the hats they wear in their organization, that we can take the burden off with that one. That makes sense. So one follow up on that, and, and it, this is something I suspect, but I've never, I've never proven it out in testing. Do you see that when internal calls, when calls are made internally in an organization, is there a difference in the quality of the experience? That's a tough one because everybody's, everybody's, I, I can control the people that I hire. And sure. And we, we go to great lengths to make sure that these people just want to talk, right? Because <laughs> that's okay. what donors want to do sometimes, right? It's not just a scripted call. It's truly a, trying to build a relationship. Well, um, when it comes to internal staff and volunteers, I, I tend to see a burnout, mm-hmm. right? I tend to see that uh, it, it, without the, the quality control, without the, the monitoring of how they're treating the calls, um, because we can record them, we can monitor you know, upon request, and we notice that there's a fall off and it starts getting scripted. It starts getting to the point where they say, I have so much to do today. Now I've got to make these calls. And it top down, if it's not a priority, but rather here, do this. Well, that's, it's all about the attitude at that point. So I guess you could say leadership's going to make the call on that one. So, so it's then, less, less of a relational engagement at that point and more of a, I got to make this call to check a box on my to-do list. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. Right. And I'll tell you quality of the calls is everything on this because, you know, first do no harm, right? And almost sure. anything we want to do. And, and if you're, you know, reach out and uh, a staff is just ticking that box, it may not be as effective as you'd like to be. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, I like to say to, to clients that when, when a donor gets a call like this, the goal should be surprise and delight, right? Yes. Not uh, sounding like a, a recorded political call or something like that. Right. Right. And, and, and that's actually core to um, what I've discovered is the most effective thing with these calls. Two stages. One is the thank you, but it's the thank you plus a deliverable. And that's going to be different for every organization. And that deliverable is not, hey, here's what we did with your money. I believe that that's a cursory, uh, almost a superficial, uh, you know, when that finger pointing out those, what you just said, all points back to the organization. It's like mm-hmm. what I did for you. <laughs> Right. But rather, how do you deliver value to say, I care about you and let's talk? Well, for ministries, that would be a prayer request because for ministries, and I would say 80% of who we work with are ministries, the prayer requests, you know, actually serve directly at the core of what the, what, 
what each organization we're working with is trying to accomplish is, you know, bringing people closer to God and closer to Christ and being not just ministerial for the folks in their walls and who they serve as part of their mission statement, but also their donors. And so it's an opportunity to expand what they're doing to their donors and offer tremendous value while, you know, getting a deeper relationship going. This yes. deliverable could also be something like inviting someone to a tour, yes. could be engaging them in a survey conversation, any number of, of different engagement options, right? Right. And as, as you know, and probably most of your listeners, you know, the, the quid pro quo of, of asking somebody for their opinion, that makes them feel valuable. So that's, that's definitely one of them. And so believe it or not, by asking their opinion on something, you're bringing value. You know, different things are going to have different effectiveness. The tour, if, if, if you are a local organization, a regional, and a tour is viable, what's that clear and distinct thing that makes you different? I have one food bank I work with that has a tremendous hydroponics outfit hmm. that they grow food you know, for their own food bank. They don't just take in from the outside and redistribute. They're actually you know, creating, creating the food that they're distributing. And that's, that's, a, that's a unique benefit to be able to get an inside tour to that. And, sure. Uh, not, and, and, of course, see what their money is going for. I, w- I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. You said that you'd tested it and proven out empirically that a, a well-delivered engagement call like this alters donor behavior. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So empirically, what we found is that um, gift increases over time, and we have studies that range from six months out to about 27 months, can grow anywhere from 30 to 70%. And different organizations show so different gains, but it's pretty consistent across the board. Now I'm going to tie onto that to what I said, something I said earlier. We also discovered, and this is really interesting um, because I believe it's a mistake that people make when they think of thank you calls is we accidentally rolled into a case study results from calling that had a delay of about a month. So what that means is our, our, the standard operating procedure we have is we make sure that we make those calls within a week of the gift being given. Well, what happened was the data that we fed in, it didn't perform. And like everything that we've done, we were constantly doing these status checks. But what we found was that that particular client gave us month old data to okay. call. And so all of those donors that we were calling had aged at least three to four weeks. And, huh. and, that's a, and that is kind of under the same idea that we have under receipts. The rule of thumb is get that receipt out within 72 hours, right? Well, with the call, it's no different than that. It's a, there's a too little, too late effect. In fact, people don't live and breathe your organization. They gave three, four weeks ago. They might be like thinking, oh, wait, what? Right. Oh, that's right. And that little pause, that little delay is, why'd you wait so long? Or yeah. whatever little story they're going to tell in their heads. So we found on that particular case that we, it was flat. The, the results were flat. We may as well not have made a call. And huh, interesting. Yeah. And that's a lot for me uh, to, it was a big pill to swallow because now, you know, that's going to tighten the screws on our own operation to make sure that if we're doing this, we're going to do it right. And, you know, if you're aged a month, we're recommending, no, let's not call. Well, and I just think about, you know, all those organizations who say we'll get to it as fast as we can. We'll, we'll do these as fast as we can if they're doing them in, in-house or even outsourcing to a, a partner somewhere. Just a couple weeks delay makes it worthless is what it sounds like. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I shouldn't really be a surprise when you think in terms of the receipt, right? There's a reason the 72-hour rule is in place and is a, is a standard among fundraisers because we've tried a week, we've tried two weeks, and, and we see the numbers and people don't respond. There's the white mail doesn't come back. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same effect. It shouldn't, shouldn't be a huge surprise to hear that. So just to, to go a little deeper on this, what you found, and, and I'm going to say it like a statement, but it's a question for you. What you found is that the, the people who received a call and who received a timely call, they, they were like more likely to make somewhere between 30% to 70% more gifts. So it's not about the size of the gift necessarily. It's about the frequency of giving. It, it is about frequency of giving and consistently across the board, we found that it's the frequency that changes and the average gift, you know, looking side by side, isn't, isn't moving. Okay. It, at least the way we're doing it, there's, I guess, no upgrade in gratitude, but at least <laughs> I, I don't know what the lesson is there. Well, I mean, I, I think you and I both would agree that getting more gifts in a 12 month period is just as valuable of an upgrade as getting a bigger gift, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and of course, in the 27-month study that I, I cited earlier, we actually put side-by-side -side cultivation calls, and then within that, we put in new calls, so new donors. The okay. new donors, this is interesting. We called these guys in late 2016, so they were new in 2016. We pulled the data, I believe it was just after fall of 2018, so in January, February of 18. And then what we found was that we actually had in the 90% of the folks that were called that were new donors actually gave a second gift. Now, so stop, stop. So hold on. 90% of the people who were new donors that were called gave a second gift? Right. Within that 27 month period. I've never seen a number like that. I know. Before. And I believe, yeah, I'll tell you, that was an East Coast client. And, um, and we had a, uh, it's, it, we tested that one. And then we also tested the 2017 to show the shorter term and it showed a, a 40, I think it was a 40, I don't have it in front of me, the 40 something percent increase over the control of second gift conversion. So, so again, I think intuitively, if you step back and think about what we're talking about, gratitude, leaving a first impression being, you know, making sure you're heard, uh, you know, the, the donors heard that it will impact new donors probably a little heavier than it would the cultivation. And it, and that's, that bears out. And, and I mean, to go back to why you created the company and what's going on in the industry. I mean, if we can get that kind of lift in new donor conversion on a consistent basis, it makes the cost of acquisition much more palatable over time. It's a, it's a no brainer, honestly. And I, I wish more organizations were, would step into this space. Yeah. Even if, even if you had a 5% over your control, Sure. And it wasn't these gargantuan 40%. Now, this particular client, I could go over extenuating circumstances that might have led to that, like, um, you know, that this was a quantum leap in donor treatment that okay. people might have seen or heard about. Let's just leave it at that. That there, each, each time that you want to, you know, you want to go into this, certainly want to go with the testing mindset. So sure. how it works with your organization if you're going to do this. But to your point, I mean, if, if they got a 40% increase, if, if they got a 5 to 10% increase, every one of my clients would, would raise their hands and say, yeah, I'd love to get that, you know? Right, right. Well, and the question not asked is, you know, ROI. Um, when it comes to the new and cultivation thank you calls, because we've done other calling programs like pre-mail calling, things like that, it's 
typically what we're seeing is anything over nine to one, but more typically 30 to one on the cost. So sorry, I say that again from anywhere from nine to one to 30 to one. Right. That's what we've seen with different organizations. Um, and I've tested that in different areas of the country. Um, I had a Northwest one in there. Like I said, Northeast earlier, I have pretty solid from the South. So that nine to 30% or nine, nine to one to 30 to one, it, some of them goes even higher. And I just, you know, it's, it, it, it's mind boggling to me when I say this and I get some nods. I'm like, great. All right. Thank you. And they move on. And <laughs> I mean, I've, I don't, I know some major gift programs that don't deliver that return on investment, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and really the way it's calculated is, is essentially saying, okay, what were the, what's the average gift count increase against the gift, you know, average gift. And it's clear. Um, yeah. Put that against the cost of the program and what it took to make those 300 calls, which really isn't, isn't that much. It just, it tells me that we're onto something. The numbers aren't lying. And I, I, you know, I'm just going to work hard to get the word out and make sure that, you know, if people can do this internally, outstanding. I think that's a brilliant thing. And if you can keep people motivated to your point that they're going to be encouraging and um, encouraged to have a full conversation with donors, not be afraid of it, but treat it as a priority. Yep. You know, those things are important. We're not, we're, we're in a time frame, and I've heard some of your podcasts and there's a, you know, quite a few of them. And there's a common theme about relationship versus transaction. You see it everywhere you read anything. Well, this is one basic function that can happen. At least if, if somebody just wants to get started, start calling your donors. Yeah. Call as many as you can, as many as a budget allows. And by budget, I always mean dollars and hours. <laughs> you know, don't treat staff like they don't cost anything. Um, <laughs> as well as volunteers, do your own AB split. It's a very simple thing to do. The message is quite simple and see where it goes. I would I really recommend that to anybody that, that, that can pull it off. Yeah. So one more data question, because I think it's an important one. And I suspect because you're, you're moving the needle on second gift conversion and on frequency of giving that the clients that you're working with, the organizations that are doing this mm -hmm. are seeing improvements in their retention rate year over year. Ha have you looked at that specifically with them? Well, I've tried to, it's, it's difficult from where I sit doing just the relationship piece to get the full um, database to do those analytics. So um, what I'd like to do, and um, anybody that's listening to this would like to do this with me, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to be able to look at a, a full uh, donor file study to see okay. what impact this segment would have. In other words, we could, if we could feed into the, the greater study that shows overall retention for the organization, then slice out this, this, this piece, these folks that got the special attention to see what's happening there. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. Now, that said, anecdotally, I did have one client, well, more than, more than one actually, that say, hey, you know, our, our retention really popped and you're the only thing we did different this year. <laughs> and, and so that's anecdotal, but you know, if our frequency is going up, if it did have an impact on the mind of the donor, intuitively you could say the retention is going to go up. But to what degree? I, I really, I don't, I'm not informed on that yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're kind of thinking in the same vein here. Tell me this. I know one of the other areas that a lot of organizations spend time and, and typically volunteer effort around is handwritten thank you notes. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you doing anything in that space? Are you seeing anything different there? 
Yeah, I alluded to that actually when I started. Um, and uh, we are doing handwritten thank you notes and we're only starting to do it because I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it unless I could keep the cost, you know, modest because one of the biggest stumbling blocks for organizations that want to invest, dedicate budget to actually building relationship is seeing immediate return. And of course they're going to, the first thing they're going to look at is the cost line item. So, you know, I feel like I owe it to my clients to get that to a reasonable point. So long story short is we are bringing the technology in house. We actually have, you know, some very sophisticated uh, fonts that can be from the executive director, from the personality within the organization. It'll be in their handwriting with all the requisite jankiness to make it look like it's really coming from that okay. person. Yeah. And so we have uh, started, um, we I did have a client that did it this fall for the first time. We sent out a whole bunch of, I think it's just over 1200 okay. to their donor club. These are the high end donors within their database just to say happy new year. Uh, wish them a happy um, 2020 and to thank them for what they've done. Okay. Um, so probably too early to, to hear any, any kind of results or even anecdotal performance at this point, right? Yeah, you'd think, but um, I got, I got a call pretty excited from the executive director saying, you know, we saw, we've never seen an, an 8% year over year increase in giving at year end. And so, you know, we targeted these to hit the 26th of December. Oh, okay. Smart. Uh, so these, these cards, you know, they were on hand for them to drop in the mail. So they got there on the 26th. So that gave plenty of time to, you know, for decision-making on year end giving. And there was an 8% impact. So again, anecdotal, we don't have an AB split on that. Which actually brings up a good point. This executive director is probably one of the greatest women leaders in nonprofits I've met. She was an early adopter to what we do. She decided, I just want to do this because I know it's the right thing. Hmm. And, and my wife and I, who founded this company, recently looked back at all the folks we've onboarded and all the conversations we've had and, and realized that disproportionately, like to the tune of 70 plus percent, organizations that um, have come on have been decisions that women leaders have made understanding relationships very important well that might be the statement of the day tom isn't that fascinating i i i love that i love that i and i and you know to the to the you know what i alluded to earlier the hesitancy of folks to come on board you know i look at budgets wanting to change steer the ship in a different direction leadership, not being able to try something new. I, 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 I bandy about with all these things, but that's one thing that we noticed is, is a trend. Is that it's really fascinating to me. So I, uh, a week and a half ago, I sat down with a small group of philanthropists and fundraisers with alongside Charles Green, who was one of the, the authors of the trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he talked a lot about the fact that intimacy is the key driver of building trust yes. and in a study, I, I'm going to butcher the number, but it's something like 70,000 surveys by, by a majority. What their data showed is that women are more trusted mm -hmm. and it's largely because they're more skilled at developing intimate relationships. And I just mean, you know, intimate conversations, being able to get to know someone at an emotional level, things like that. So to hear you say this, just as further confirmation for me of the data point that I, that I heard recently, but it's fascinating. I suspect that as more women enter the C-suite in organizations, that, that we'll start to see 
an, an even greater increase in the number of organizations that are willing to invest in, in relationship building and stewardship, not as purely a cost center, but, but as understanding that it definitely has long-term revenue potential as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're both married. We know that they have those, they have the attributes that are much, <laughs> much more along the lines of relationship, relationship development. That's for sure. Yep. I, I just, I just run around carrying heavy stuff. That's all I do. That's, that's what we do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what are you seeing on the horizon with what's going on in the uh, economy right now, the environment right now, are your clients telling you anything different about what they're experiencing after your calls today versus what it looked like a year ago? I think, I think there's an aha for the donor who receives a thank you call, not an aha, but a, a wow, you know, a surprise and delight as you put it. That's also true with some of the fo- some of the clients that I have that are hesitant at first, but then we start getting these anecdotal feedback, right? So the impact that it's had, not just on the reports that I've generated, but like for instance, I have one um, executive director came up to me at a conference. He didn't want to call me. He didn't want to tell me this on the phone. He he wanted to see me at a conference and came up to me and told me, you know, we had one one person who consistently gave a hundred dollars just every now and then sporadically year after year. And right after receiving one of the calls, and it was a short call. It wasn't even that long. I think our average call is about 1.1 minute to get the point across, but it was, it was reasonable. And uh, she, she ended up cutting a check for $60,000 and brought it to his office. Six zero, like 60, yeah. $60,000. Wow. And in the weeds. And that's not a, it's not you know, a hugely unusual um, thing. I mean, that's a large amount, but people are responding, you know, face to face and, you know, approaching the mission with, with bigger gifts, which, you know, I wish there was a way of tracking that and actually (laughs) empirically putting that down on, on paper. But I think some of the, some of the really powerful things that come out of this as well is the stories we hear about, about folks that just never heard from the organization before. Mm -hmm. So, so these are loyalists and uh, we have one, one organization that's been around for many, many, many years, uh, decades. And um, this particular person, her and her husband, the donor and her husband had met while listening to this organization's radio program. Oh, interesting. And they just had their 60th anniversary. Wow. (laughs) They spent their 20th anniversary going to a live performance of that. Huh. Uh, So um, talk about being deeply aligned with an organization. That's, that's pretty crazy. Right. But even with all that alignment, meeting her husband, through that that relationship or at least that that organization was part of she still said i never actually received a call and she says you have no idea how much this means to me i hear those things and it's more than anecdotal i mean we have uh, hundreds of thousands of calls we made with comments you know all over the place and uh, just never ceases to amaze me there's the people that say something to us but then it lets me wonder what is it they're not saying you know the surprise and delight is more often silent but future casting, back to your, uh, back to your question. Sure. <laughs> There's an impact. There was two things in there, the impact with the organization and what we've seen, as well as um, moving forward. Moving forward, things aren't going to change. Things are going to get slipperier. Um, there was an article that recently came out, article, it was a study, talking about trust in nonprofit organizations I thought was fascinating. I believe it was from, let's see what here. The Edelman Trust Barometer said that nonprofits, trust in nonprofits have dropped 
to the level of for profits, if not a little below. <laughs> and that speaks to speaks to probably the larger problem that is societally is a trust in institutions. I believe moving forward that that not that you can't become you know you can't disenfranchise yourself as an institution as a nonprofit, but you can become a personality as a a, a nonprofit. You can have strike up even a, a semblance of a personal relationship, even if it's just the donor that feels like they know a little bit more that there's a, a personality behind the organization. That speaks to the importance of relationship mark, uh, relationship fundraising, steering away from what's transactional. It's not going to get any better because most of those stats are coming from the millennials and Zs generations, and. Since they're growing up, I don't know if their trust is going to get better all of a sudden. It's like, <laughs> wham, bam, all of a sudden I trust you. It's going to have to happen donor by donor, and it's going to be incremental, and it's going to be hard work. Yeah, I suspect it's not going to get any better. And I want to go back to something else you said. So you, when talking about that $60,000 gift, and, and you said something about, you know, I, I wish we could tie it back directly. I think that's another thing, particularly when organizations get into relationship fundraising, Mm-hmm. is that we're so used to being ah. able to track and to say, well, I sent out 10 pieces of mail and I got six back. I know exactly what the response was. And there's such a high level of discomfort with the idea of of sort of having the messiness of attribution when it comes to relationship development. Right, you right. Know, the, the, the reality is uh, we can have one of two things. We can have growth or we can have control, but rarely can we have the two of those at the same time. Brilliant. Couldn't have said better. That is, um, that's so true. Yeah. So I, I, I would just encourage organizations like, yes, to the extent that you can track it, you should want to know where something came in, what triggered it, those sort of things. So that if it's able to be replicated, it can be. But at the same time, like create space for those unique experiences where you might not be able to say, well, I exactly, you know, I know exactly where this came from and I tied it exactly out to this banner ad or this telephone call or this email or direct mail, but to simply say, we did all the right things in this relationship that led this donor to, to making a transformational commitment to help solve whatever problem it is that that your organization is working for. Yep. And that's going to root from a mindset change. Um, You know, I've been in many different development departments that have cubicles like many of our offices and, and, and an environment that says, I have to get this done, this done, this done. And the donor, if we're not conscientious about it and, and do a wholesale mindset change uh, uh, in our relationship with the donor internally before we even communicate with them, it's, it's, that's not going to get any better. <laughs> you know, if, if we treat them like the, the ATMs they used to be, yeah, it's uh, progress won't be made. So really, it's going to have to start with with cultures within organizations and a and a true and deep appreciation for the donors and everything else that comes out of that, be it phone calls, handwritten notes, hyper personalization, you know, the way they engage in an event, all those things will change. That really, your brand becomes something that your, uh, you know, your your donor is part of your identity, not just not just um, something that brings you work every day. Yeah, not just not just the cash machine to, to use your words. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey man, this has been super insightful. I think what you're doing is brilliant. And I, I love that the organizations that you're working with are seeing such great results. If somebody listening wants to get in touch with you and learn more, what's the best way for people to reach you? Directly on my cell phone is probably best. You can text, um, call at 
554-7873. That's the best way to go and let's start a conversation. If, if it's just about a sounding board, great. I, I, I'm an advocate for just doing this, not just doing it with you know, Nimble Connect, but rather you know, making sure that nonprofits are, actually, are performing and respecting donors because you know, the future, <laughs> there's futures not bright unless we do. Absolutely. Hey man, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you. You bet. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.